Hello, and welcome to the Entrepreneur First podcast, where we explore the stories and thought processes of some of the world's most ambitious entrepreneurs. My name is Matt Clifford. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Entrepreneur First, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're going to give you a taste of what it takes to found a unicorn. That is, a startup worth over a billion dollars. On this very special episode, we have two guests who have built such companies. The first is Reid Hoffman. Reid probably needs no introduction, but just in case, he's the co-founder of LinkedIn, which he sold to Microsoft for $26 billion, and now a partner at one of the world's leading venture capitalists, Greylock Partners. We're also lucky to have him as an investor and a board member at Entrepreneur First. Our second guest is Alex Dalia. Alex is the co-founder and CEO of Tractable, a company that EF funded back in 2015. Tractable has just become EF's first unicorn, and we recorded this special episode of the podcast with a live virtual audience to mark their achievement. So sit back, relax, and hear how these two founders built their billion-dollar companies. So I've told you that Tractable is now worth a billion dollars, but what do they actually do? I asked Alex to explain. What Tractable does is computer vision for accident and disaster recovery. The basic premise is two facts. When you get into a car accident, uh, getting back to normal can take you up to 20 days, but actually fixing the car is only eight hours of work. So that huge deadweight loss, we think computer vision can dramatically accelerate. And that's what we're doing to about a million households a year right now, grown 600% in the last 24 months. The second fact is climate change makes natural disasters worse. And those natural disasters, I've got haze outside of my flat in New York City right now from the wildfires, leave people without a roof over their heads for months. Same thing here. Computer vision can help accelerate that. Tractable's achievement belongs to the founders, but it's also an important moment for talent investing, the new model of venture capital that EF pioneered, and that for a long time seemed a pretty controversial idea. The core idea of talent investing is that it's possible to identify and fund great founders before they start a company. We seek out individuals who we think could be exceptional entrepreneurs, back them pre-company, and support them to find a co-founder and build a company from scratch. You can imagine the questions this raised when we got started. Don't you suffer from adverse selection? Can the founders really be mission-driven? Will teams built this way hold together? And many more. Tractable's team has answered these questions pretty conclusively. They're one of the most dedicated, customer-obsessed teams you could hope to meet. And they've built something that will have enduring value. As you've probably gathered, at EF, we want to back many more founders like this. People who aspire to build enormous companies. And our job is to help them start that journey. Back in 2017, Alice and I wanted to get Reid Hoffman involved in EF because he's one of the world's most successful company builders. I asked him to tell us how his journey into the world of entrepreneurship began. I actually went to Oxford to study philosophy. My interest is always people. So how do we reason? How do we think? How do we talk to each other? And then I realized that actually, in fact, entrepreneurship uh, would actually be the higher scale impact because this kind of software medium that we create in this world around us allows us to express our identities, communicate with each other, find other people, collaborate you know, form relationships, strengthen relationships and engage in, you know, work and life and play and all the rest of that. And so I went back to my undergraduate university, Stanford, which is in Silicon Valley and, you know, said, okay, how do I start doing this? And I was like, well, first you get some experience shipping commercial software. So I did that. 
Um, but I wanted to move quickly to building the new kinds of networked products that I uh, want to do. So my very first company, SocialNet, always a learning experience. And the, the view is how do we help ourselves as individuals and groups make each other better, like evolve in capabilities and wisdom and compassion and a set of things. And that's uh, what I've done both as an entrepreneur um, and as an investor. Meanwhile, for Alex, who just graduated from the London School of Economics, it was a love affair with a summer internship at Blitzscaler Rocket Internet that made him realize he wanted to build his own company. I wasn't going to be an academic, unfortunately. I was going to be much worse than that. I was going to probably be a banker, which is what people did at London School of Economics uh, in the UK back then. I remember you know, applying for internships and under banking, you had hundreds. Under accounting and consulting as well. Under entrepreneurship, you had one. And it was this company which is not necessarily Silicon Valley's favorite, yet incredible blitzscalers, Rocket Internet. And so I did an internship at Rocket Internet over the summer and just fell in love with entrepreneurship. And it was just conviction from there on that I'd want to do nothing but build a company. There are more than 700 private companies valued at more than a billion dollars around the world today. These companies vary a lot in the services they perform and the products they provide, but one thing that most of them have in common is they're at heart technology companies. I asked Reed to tell us a bit more about why technology so often plays a role in building huge companies. Part of what it is to be humanity evolves as we evolve our technology. Now, part of the technology question is the relatively few paths by which an individual can accomplish very massive scale. And they tend to be, especially on the entrepreneurial, when you kind of say, hey, I've got a, an idea, I've got a drive, I've got some talent, uh, I don't want to do this. Technology is one of the most central ways because, of course, that can in various ways spread. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, kind of within blitzscaling, the key thing is this is how technology companies of the future are being built, you know, 80% plus. And by the way, all companies are en route to becoming technology companies. When you think about this, it's like, all right, you know, Alex is saying, hey, this is a critical thing that could make people's lives a lot better by not having, you know, kind of like 20 plus days of, you know, my car out of commission, affecting my commute, affecting my quality of life. And now with software, I can radically shorten that and make lives a lot better. Well, that's partially because this is old industry that kind of doesn't understand the new technological platforms and new ways that you can operate this and requires a kind of a, a new entrant to say, we've reimagined, we've seen the technology, we're rebuilding something like, you know, it's an application of computer vision and deep learning is essential for what the next great services for consumers, you know, fitting within the kind of economic ecosystem that we all live and make our lives better on. And so that's where technology plays. And that's also one of the reasons why the techniques about how we build these product services and how we build the companies behind them um, is one of the things that we refine. And obviously that's one of the things that, you know, entrepreneur first, you know, in going and saying, hey, um, if you would like to build great new technology companies, we're refining them, we're, we're building a network, we're sharing uh, information, we're sharing, you know, connections, we're sharing what is the modern ability to do this. Tractable has been a breakthrough company, not only for EF, but also for the insurance industry as a whole. I asked Alex how his experience at EF helped him understand how to make use of technology to build his business. One thing entrepreneur first taught is, you know, we need EF companies to solve a tech problem, really, really deep tech problem that nobody else has solved. You've got to be the first ones there. Another thing that's amusing is 
you know, one of the very wise things that Y Combinator teaches is start with a personal problem for building your own company. That is absolutely not, weirdly, how Tractable started. <laughs> Maybe the EF approach is actually, no, no, start with a huge tech breakthrough. In 2012, you had a huge breakthrough in deep learning, where it was the first time that we took these ImageNet data sets that weren't just hundreds of thousands of images, but 15 million, each labeled with what's on the image. And we fed that to deep learning algorithms, which or convnets, which had been around since the 90s. But for the first time, instead of being run on some CPUs, they said, we're going to reprogram GPUs and run it on that. And the compute power will be 100 times stronger. And that led to a massive breakthrough where all of a sudden, for the first time, we saw algorithms starting to be able to understand what's on an image, even when it's very cluttered and there could be all kinds of objects on it. And that was just previously impossible. So we became obsessed over what are the real world image classification tasks that therefore these algorithms are going to be able to start doing instead of humans. Of course, technology is an important foundation. But if you want to reach a billion dollar valuation, the most important thing is customers. Tractable's customers are mainly large insurance companies. I asked Alex to explain his enterprise sales strategy. In terms of, of scaling revenue, what we found really interesting is most tech companies, you think of scaling revenue by going from 10,000 to a million customers. I think what's really interesting in our case being going specifically after enterprise customers, the biggest companies in the world, is you can also scale by going from a six-figure to an eight-figure contract. So you kind of have bi-dimensional scaling. And interestingly, the key to us was actually scaling the contract size and realizing that for a large insurance company, we could help them save eight figures. Uh, we could help them or generate that much value in terms of improved customer experience and greater efficiency. And key to that was really being able to say, look, every time your customer has an accident, we're going to be able to help. And there's lots of workflows there. You know, sometimes I take my car to a shop. Sometimes I just want to get paid cash. I want to get it fixed. I want to take it to my own shop. And when you're in enterprise world, there's just so many workflows that the key has been being able to attain 100% account penetration. Reed has spent a lot of time thinking about scaling. He even wrote a book on the subject, Blitzscaling. He gave us an insight into how he thought about growth strategy at LinkedIn. Small differences in how you go to market can really have an amplifier. And if that plays back into what your product or service is, then, oh my God, your product or service should be that way. And so these each play different ways. And one of the things, for example, Alex said that was very smart about Tractable was to say, hey, here's a way that we can start applying this technology. And we have actually reasonably good error bars. So that means is that people can start adopting it because the downside of a miscategorized case is relatively limited, just an economic analysis. And you can very straightforwardly do the, the kind of the calculus about like, okay, why should we start adopting this right now? And then refine, of course, and iterate as, as you're going. And so in the LinkedIn case, the theory was, well, first you wanted to build a network of professionals who are all there with their identities, helping each other, connecting each other with opportunities where also companies and recruiters and you know, entrepreneurs and managers can come find you. And in our Series B deck, I published it was to say, hey, this is how we went about it. This is what we learned. This is what we do. Here's what I do differently after doing this deck, how I'd learn. Because each time you do something, you should be learning how I would improve it the next time. You know, we thought it was going to be individuals expensing it to their companies because we thought, okay, it'll be a business activity. We'll have a set of features. But on the other hand, the work that goes to talking to an enterprise is a huge amount, you know, Salesforce and RFPs and all the rest. And go to market along with your product and show you how to operate. And you're looking at what are these places that get you to a scale where you have a 
you know, kind of a, a strong growth curve, you know, in your business, because first mover isn't usually what matters. It's first mover to scale is most often what matters. And so uh, anyway, that was part of how we looked at it. Now, that being said, LinkedIn was one of those, you know, kind of companies that innovated how it acquires businesses, because essentially one of the, the ways that the LinkedIn Salesforce works is it sees new companies coming in and starting to active and use. And it says, oh, we should reach out to this company and say, hey, we have an enterprise suite. And look, here's all how you're already using it. And here's our fit from our enterprise suite and business. And so that network allows innovation on the go-to-market and it isn't just like, okay, we double our sales force. Building strong relationships with customers is key to success. I asked Alex about how Tractable works on building customer trust. So a big next chapter for us as alluded to at the beginning is moving from cars to homes and from getting you back more quickly, not just after an accident, but after a natural disaster. So actually last week, we published this in the Japanese news that there will unfortunately probably be typhoons again this autumn. And when they strike, it becomes impossible for like a manual workforce to deal with. These poor Japanese households just end up with no proper roof on their heads for months, waiting for someone to show up and inspect, get their payout, and then try and get it fixed. We want to try and accelerate that. But the fact is, our AI is not ready. <laughs> we do not have an AI that today can completely create a end-to-end -end accurate estimate of the cost of a house, because that's next level complexity. So it's a whole other ballgame. But to your point, the scale, so the big difference is that now we have customer trust. They've seen us go from, you know, young, scrappy little company to a fully automated AI system on the vehicle side. We also have all of the top five Japanese insurers as customers. And so we now can get access to pooling their historical data. We now have the funds to kick off digitization projects to be able to amass that training data faster. And yeah, none of that would be possible if we didn't have the scale. So to take a company from zero to billions requires great technology and a great sales and marketing strategy. But you're not going to have either of those things without great people. Tractable has built a world-class team. I asked Alex about the challenges he faces in hiring, motivating, and retaining new talent. The hardest thing up until maybe now is as a young founder, I always have the bias of why would someone, you know, exceptional and more experienced than me want to work for me? That doesn't make sense. I feel weird hiring people with more experience. You're cutting off 99.9% .9 of the job market. And so what was huge for us, for Raz and I, we were both straight out of college, was Adrian, uh, a third co-founder who'd co-founded Lazada, which is kind of an Alibaba in Southeast Asia, come in and say, no, 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 you, know, you need to set the bar extremely high. And of course, people are going to love coming to work for you. And I think having that experienced business exec as third founder is just so important because once we got over the first few humps and we started getting world-class candidates, each incremental hire was easier because candidates will go and identify with the other team members. I think that's been something I've had to fight against like all the way up until now, hiring senior executives. I think now that we're a unicorn, it's probably different. Reed, meanwhile, told us that choosing the right people to work for your company is a critical part of any entrepreneurial journey. This is one of the things that's awesome about entrepreneurship is there's a whole tool set and you solve problems in multiple ways. And so what Alex is mentioning is generally better to have two to three co-founders in one because of diversity of skill sets, adding in. Another thing which I think is also really key is that you're continually bringing in new talent and the new talent 
has skills and capabilities that enhance the group. And sometimes that new talent is an executive or the new talent is, you know, even better talent at solving problem X, Y, or Z. Now, I think part of the thing for Alex and for all the other folks out there is to say, well, actually, in fact, there's a bunch of really valuable things like, you know, figuring out a really valuable market uh, before other people have, maybe have been originally being contrarian and right about it, and then, you know, making some traction, assembling a company that is on this mission where the mission resonates with people. You know, one of the things that I think is really fundamental in talent is that everyone wants to be a hero on the things that they're doing. And so you enable them a path. So someone who goes, look, I've been an executive for 10 years or have this, but here is a way in joining your amazing company, your mission, that I can be a hero. And sometimes my hero is I'm bringing something you guys don't have, right? And that will be really important about how this, uh, you know, how we all succeed together. And that's just part of the entrepreneurial journey. Another challenge when building businesses at scale is dealing with competition. Alex explained how you can use your professional network to stay ahead of the competition. Absolutely. All the tech giants are, are trying to build computer vision platforms, visual systems. You send it an image and it can tell you as much as possible about the image, but it's just not going to get to the level anytime soon, I think, of being able to appraise vehicles at that level of granularity. That, that data is not even available openly online. You need to work with a whole bunch of insurance companies for a certain amount of time for it. And we're fortunate to have some network effects as well, because actually you've got repairers and you have insurance, right? And so every repairer of a car or a home is going to work with every single insurer out there. So if you can get a big insurer to say, this platform is fantastic, I'm going to ask all of my repairers in my network to adopt it, there you go. Now you're really, really easy to adopt for the next insurer. An important ingredient in Tractable success has been its ability to raise capital. Alex and his team have raised more than $100 million from world-leading VCs. He told us a bit about how Tractable has pitched its investors. There's definitely a bunch I wish I would have done differently because we have never managed to get the top-tier Silicon Valley VCs really interested. You know, they not on any of our rounds. Uh, this last one was the only one where we had one, one of the top tiers really saying we, we would love to leave. And, and if I reflect on why, I think, you know, one issue was that we didn't have proprietary groundbreaking technological breakthroughs. Uh, I think our timing was incredible, right? We were two market with the deep learning breakthrough out there. If one of us had been the author on one of those top 1% deep learning papers, winners of the ImageNet competition, no problem. We would have secured funding. We didn't have that. Uh, the second thing is we also didn't have a $100 billion tap because we didn't go horizontal. Uh, we started vertical. We, we want to go full stack and, and not, not just deliver a great technology, but deliver a solution. If you're the platform that interconnects people who are owners of the cars and homes, their insurance companies, all the government agencies like FEMA that are coming in to help, and the people that'll do the repairing, the repairers, if, if you're the visual intelligence platform that connects all of them, so that the whole thing gets done 10 times faster at uh, better costs for equally good outcomes, then you, know, you could probably end up charging a fraction of, of this $2 trillion. That's a material company. The second amusing thing is we have grown 600%. We're into high eight figures of revenue, but um, you know, we only have 5% of the US market and we've just announced probably the most prestigious one. So you know, the odds that we're gonna go from five to 70%, in Japan, we are at, at 90 are pretty high. And so it's probably a good chance looking more midterm. But then even looking long-term, what I find fascinating actually is that insurance 
is basically protecting every facet of the economy. And when you're coming in at the client, that's the moment where you're assessing the value of the things that have gone wrong. Our AI now is one where you can pull out your phone, scan your car, and we can understand the damage to the car. That's also important when you want to sell that car or when you want to insure that car or when you want to refinance your loan on that car. Every time today, you need to book an appointment with someone, they'll come check it out, it'll take five days, and then they'll give you a quote, and it's super high friction to shop that around. Imagine what happens if you're pulling out the visual expert in your pocket, and it is immediately giving you price compared quotes for each of these, insurance, sale, loans, repair. Each of these are trillion dollar industries, and that's just the car. We're doing this for the home. As an investor, Reed has backed some of the world's most exciting companies, like Facebook and Airbnb, and of course, EF itself. He shared his views about the value that investors can bring and the role they play beyond just providing capital. Your average top-tier VC looks at somewhere between 600 and 800 companies per year and says yes to zero to two of them. That's the kind of raw math of it. Roughly speaking, you know, one of the things is for the top tier Silicon Valley investments, it's if we succeed, it's going to be massive. This is one of the reasons why I give the advice of contrarian and right, because you don't, by the way, need every person to say it. You need just the right person to say, yes, I'm going to go on this journey with you. And obviously it's better if it's two or three, it's better dynamics around, but you certainly don't need everyone. And that's part of the reason why contrarian and right. So for example, when Airbnb came and pitched us at Greylock for our series A, I really want to do it. The primary partner was David Z. He was my most useful LinkedIn board member. He looked at me across the table and said, well, every VC has to have a deal they can fail on. Airbnb can be yours. David, six months later, realized exactly the kind of investment you should be doing and came to me and said, well, you know, what did you see that I didn't see? And I said, well, look, I agreed with you. I saw all these risks. You know, it's a strange thing about, you know, one person renting something from another versus the kind of industrialized set of a hotel. You know, the questions about, look, what would local city regulation and neighborhoods and you know, other kinds of things play into this. But there were interesting plans to getting past those. And if it did that, it redefines an industry. And that is the kind of thing that we look for. And it's obviously not just within the consumer space, you know, redefining industries, for example, um, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of insurance or whether it's dealing with tsunamis or typhoons, those are actually, in fact, the kinds of things that are looked at and technology as for our earlier conversation as they enable a billion-dollar valuation is a serious landmark, and companies that have been able to achieve it have certainly earned their unicorn title. But no one who's able to take a company to that height is ever going to be the kind of person to settle there. As someone who's managed to take the next step and turn one billion into much, much more, I asked Reed to give Alex some advice on going from one billion to 26 and beyond. Well, it seems very well on track, and one of the things that has been great on this conversation as Alex demonstrating one of the things I think is most fundamental about uh, successful entrepreneurs, which is being infinite learners, right? So it's like, okay, how do I do this better? How do I do this better? What do I learn here? How do I improve it? Um, and so it's not surprising to me uh, that despite an early no from EF and, um, and, you know, kind of weaving the path early, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just building it because it's success in the business that most matters. Now, from here, I think, you know, obviously, um, he's already highlighted a set of the, the different uh, considerations, which is, you know, how do I change my applications into more platforms? Uh, how do I have those platforms touch uh, kind of key industries? 
What does that mean in terms of how I iterate my go-to-market? Um, as I'm growing the company, um, how do I uh, bring the new talent in that helps us solve the new problems? Obviously, some of the talent from within the company will grow as well. Um, and those are, you know, kind of all the reasons why, um, you know, Matt, as you noted earlier, that you know, kind of wrote blitzscaling um, was to have some sense of it. Because part of the thing is when you're doing blitzscaling, you can actually, in fact, share this book amongst the company to say, look, sometimes this seems pretty chaotic. Sometimes when we're shifting from our levels of scale and what our new managers are and how we communicate internally and how we coordinate on projects and, and, and that kind of thing, those change and that we should embrace that because that's part of success. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I am also, you know, indirectly a, um, a very uh, enthusiastic shareholder. Uh, so, you know, Alex, great work. Once you create something valuable, you have to be able to defend it. How should founders think about the risk that a tech giant like a Google or an Amazon might set their sights on their market? As a final question, I asked Reed how a company like Tractable can set itself up to protect itself from the biggest fish in the pond. So the short answer is, is every organization really can only have a short number of high priorities, uh, whatever size it is. So for example, if you're you know, trying to take on, you know, uh, Microsoft Office or, you know, Google at search or, you know, desktop search or mobile search, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You'd better have a really interesting, you know, contrarian, but possibly right idea. It's, it's not zero. It's not near you should do it. But, but then, you know, part of what's I think happening is that most of the, even though there may be a, a group within this company that says, yeah, yeah, I want to build your thing and so forth. If they're not prioritized within the organization, you as a startup have all kinds of actually, in fact, they have some advantages, sales channel, you know, kind of persistent budget, you know, existing talent that's in the company and so forth. But you have speed, you have an ability to be disruptive, to bring new customers and partners and allies and experiments and go to market and all the rest of that stuff. And so, you know, almost all of these startups are like, well, of course, you know, like take, for example, you know, Tractable. It's like, well, all the big companies are doing intense classifiers in deep learning. But none of them are applying it, the kinds of things. And Tractable is like, we're focused on this. This is what we're doing. And there's a huge industry here. Uh, and so, you know, those are the kinds of things. Now, when you get to defensibility, part of the thing is one defensibility, obviously, Alex gestured at this is, you know, some depth of the tech stack. Um, you know, other kinds of defensibility, it's one of the reasons why everyone talks about network effects, because, you know, that the network is a form of defensibility. Uh, sometimes it's key channels. Sometimes it's owning the key customers. Sometimes it's moving much, much faster and getting that learning curve as you're acquiring customers and going. There's a whole stack of things that you need to articulate them in your strategy to make them real to your investors to believe that you could build something that's, you know, kind of endure. Uh, but I think all of that is, is, uh, is kind of how you look at the defensibility. And very rarely do I worry about the large companies unless somehow their that their top priority or somehow they're sitting on the only asset you know or channel or something that really matters in this um and in which case then maybe you should think about something else <laughs> yeah alex any other thoughts on that did you ever fear google would do this uh they did uh they they did one of the biggest american insurers uh worked with them on it the, the, the company that we were partnered in and dependent on for data announced a partnership with them so that was concerning but I think as Reed said, you know, it wasn't top on their strategic agenda. And, and so they just couldn't have the focus on it. I, I think uh, 
Uh, Larry Page says, look, what we choose to focus on is, does it pass the toothbrush test? Uh, are people going to use this at least as often as they use their toothbrush? Well, people don't get into accidents that often, thankfully. We're fortunate to have some network effects as well, Breed, <laughs> um, because actually there's, you've got repairers and you have insurers, right? And so every repairer of a car or a home is going to work with every single insurer out there. So if you can get a big insurer to say, this, this platform is fantastic, I'm going to ask all of my repairers and my network to adopt it, there you go. Now you're really, really easy to adopt for the next insurer. And so there's, there's beautiful network effects like that. Awesome. Well, um, from network effects to network building, question two, um, which I think both of you are sort of dear to your hearts. So if you're a B2B founder, and particularly one maybe from a technical background, how do you build a network to sell to relevant companies? Like how do you, you know, how do you build out a network into an area that isn't originally maybe, uh, you know, your background? I think advisors can make a huge difference. Uh, so advisors will typically be people that are much later on in their careers and they've achieved a, uh, they have a really prestigious career. And so they'll have a Rolodex. They'll have a whole bunch of connections into that industry. And they may be at a point where they want to do something cool. You know, they've, they've been in a big corporation their whole life and actually being able to sit at dinner parties that I'm advising and investing in this uh, cutting edge technology startup is, is nice and worth it. For you, it's a great gamble as well because it's usually 0.25% of equity, which is you know, not as much as getting another VC onto your cap table. Um, I think the one thing I would caution against, though, is you've really got to make sure that these are people that have a really high bias to action and a high tolerance for risk. So sometimes they'll say, yeah, sure, I want to advise. And you'll be like, okay, are you making introductions? And they're just not. And it's because they're really worried about recommending to these really big people this um, completely unproven technology. And then it'll harm their brand. And so actually I would really advise testing first before you start working with that advisor. Are they making introductions? And then you know if they're comfortable doing it. Yep, and look, I um, network problem, network solutions. Um, what Alex mentioned is exactly right, which is, you know, how do you get alignment to people who have or aligned with you in solving your problem? And, you know, Alex's detail was, action, et cetera, et cetera. Like, look, they're going to help you because getting you in front of, um, you know, kind of building those channels is really, really matters. And then there's, you know, a variety of, of ways to do it. I mean, um, you know, part of the, for example, the design of LinkedIn is to realize that sometimes there is surprising connections. Your, uh, you know, college classmate, you know, might actually, in fact, know some people in the relevant industry and be able to introduce them. And by the way, you don't necessarily have to be introduced on the basis of, like, oh, this product's amazing. It's like, oh, actually, in fact, look, Alex is super smart and talented and is working on this thing. And I don't know about the business side, but he's he he's a great guy and 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 you should talk to him, right? And then that conversation can lead to the relevant thing. So it's 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 network solutions in these things. Um, it's one of the things that, you know, obviously, um, you know, kind of looking at uh, LinkedIn is a, is a way to do, but also anything else. Like, for example, the EF alumni network. Hey, does anybody here know you know, some, uh, someone that I could start beginning to build bridges into industry X, right? And then obviously EF tries to help with that as well. So anyway, so it's network solutions in each of these different vectors. And this is just the beginning of the scratch of how to do that. It's been amazing to watch Tractable's journey from the entrepreneur first office at that time, a basement in London to world leading billion dollar company. Alex, Razvan, Adrian, and their team have built something remarkable. And as you've heard, in many ways, they're just getting started. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Entrepreneur First podcast. It's rare to have the opportunity to sit down and chat with people like Alex and Reed about building companies. So I'm really grateful they came on the show. 
I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a bit more about what it takes to build a tech unicorn. Tune in next time when my co-host and co-founder, Alice Bentink, will be speaking to Hazel Savage of Musio about introducing artificial intelligence to the creative industries. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. For more information about Entrepreneur First, visit joinef.com. Thanks to CoFruition for consulting on and producing the podcast. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. Co-fruition.